I was just saying. I don't care about your opinion. I just well, I'll tell you what I think. What's that you're saying? Would you just listen? I don't think so. Remember, ladies, one must not get one's knickers in a twist. I just... Please listen. Shh. I'm trying to help you. Listen. I don't think so. Excuse me. Well, I don't care. I don't care. Listen. Shut up and listen. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Shut Up and Listen. And this episode is very special in two parts because A, when you hear it, I will not be in the United States. I will be in Paris, <laughs> um, which I'm so looking forward to and pray that I get back into the country. And B, it's it's actually special for like three reasons. Like B, because I'm actually out of my apartment, which is so incredible, and I'm on location, and I'm on location speaking to somebody that I love so much. Um, and we were brought together, you know, through the world of Twitter, which is absolutely, absolutely incredible. So even though it can be a cesspool, <laughs> um, it can also <laughs> it can also bring um, individuals together that that um, manifests itself in a beautiful friendship. So who am I here with? Oh my God, I am here with Zelda Williams. Hi, honey. Hello. How are you? I'm good. I forget that it was Twitter, man. I have so many friends in my life that I like truly love and it has has expanded my entire worldview that I met through just talking on Twitter. Even some that it's like I do consider friends that I haven't even met yet, but like in terms of the ones I met in person, there's you who I consider a very dear friend, there's one of my mentors who has truly become as well like a, a dear friend but also someone who has stepped out of what anyone should expect of, Scott yeah like literally the other day came over and sat with me for a couple hours with my friend and literally kind of talked about how he went one of the best things I think I've earned through now becoming a sought after white male director in Hollywood is he went I really want to foster and help women that want to be directors walk into rooms and not be kind of turned away just for being there alone. He's like, it's so weird to me that I can walk in with a female director and they are immediately more comfortable with their greatness. And he went, as as weird as that seems, if there's anything I get the chance to do, I want it to be that, that they get to make these things because someone like me is looking at these people and going, you're the gatekeepers and I look like you allow me to do this. And it's just, it's such an interesting thing to look back and realize it all started because I talked to him about um, the exorcism of Emily Rose on Twitter and was like, I'm a big fan of your work and of horror films in general. Let's like in depth talk about the fact that you made a woman who was suffering, but who wasn't a damsel and who repeatedly had to kind of readjust her view of self and her view of God and it, it, it's just so interesting to look back at, like, how 140 characters, essentially like a text message, became very close friendships. Yeah. I mean, A, it makes me think of the power of words. Very much. And using them well 
and sparingly and making sure that every word counts. And also Scott, we're talking about Scott Derrickson, who who a lot of people now know from Doctor Strange, um, who's a very, very lovely man. You know, he's the one that actually said that you and I should become friends. Yeah. Um, six degrees of Kevin Bacon, six degrees of Scott <laughs> Derrickson. Um, and he's also really good friends with, I don't know if you know her, Lexi Alexander. He was just talking about her. I don't know her, but it keeps getting brought up and I love it. And now he's making her show, which was part of what we were discussing is he's like, no, I want to support these female creators that I think a lot of people just have gone like, oh, well, if they're tough enough, they'll make it on their own. And that's not the point. Yeah, at and, all, and it's it's not even the point. It's it's also not true, um, you know. It, 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 so yes, like you, Lexi is is somebody that uh, another relationship that I had cultivated on Twitter, and she has become an incredible advocate, and an incredible sounding board, and an incredible friend. Um, I'm very much looking forward to you guys getting to know each other. I want to soon. It was it's interesting too because it's like I told him to watch a girl walks home alone at night, and now I'm I'm on is one of the women that he talks to as well and wants to help out. And so it's like it's this really cool network of people that have all been introduced to each other through each other, and that's the weird thing about Twitter that's kind of like this bizarre but easy way to connect with people. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you bring, like, mm, I'm like, you bring up her, who I know just recently, you know, um, there was some controversy surrounding some things that she had said, or the way that she had responded to a question that was posed to her um, by a woman of color at the screening for her latest film. Um, and her, <clears throat> and and this is just for me, um, her defensiveness over an honest question um, depicting a one woman of color who was a mother that got shot in front of her child. And what I'm grateful for, though, is that because I also know that Scott was mired in controversy with Doctor Strange and the casting of Tilda Swinton um, for a role that traditionally should have gone to um, someone of Asian descent. But the fact that the individuals like Scott, like Lexi, like you, um, myself included that are always willing to grow or always willing to learn or always willing to evolve um and that's something that you and I speak a lot about just personally yeah in regards to you know looking at oneself and seeing where we can either be blindsided or fall short and then get to learn and move forward yeah I mean and I don't know I don't know the um I'm on story I I haven't seen the bad batch so I don't I'm not certain about what happened but um it is very interesting to uh, we're in a time where I think everyone wants everyone else to qualify their opinions to other people and I've even faced that before where it's like I've had opinions on say the Filipino government and people are like you're white how would you understand and I'm going well Look, I, I pass as white, but I'm mixed-race Filipino. 
and it does it is very important to me and I read up on the Filipino government all the time and it's very interesting to watch people then go like well I'm not going to qualify your race for you blah 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 and they kind of have changed and backtracked and done and done things it's it's a I think it's a very important time because people are standing up for things but as as we've talked about as well I also think that there's moments where I think people focus on like there was a, there was a controversy the other day about a movie I mean, you'll have to forgive me, I don't remember which, but um, that hasn't come out yet, and no one's seen. But people were mad about the fact that it depicts um, uh, mental illness, and they were like, oh, well, it's going to glorify it. And you're going, okay, well, forgetting the fact that no one's seen it, so they don't know if it does, I wonder if we're getting to a point where people are, they want more depictions at the same time that they're afraid of depictions, because they want them to be perfect depictions, and... And you're kind of going, uh, and the and the trigger warning thing, and all of that, which I at at times understand, and also I'm worried about because I'm worried that they're basically saying there's only certain things you can now write about and explore. When I actually think now is the time to explore everything, comfortable or otherwise. And it's just a very interesting. I've watched, you know, sociologically speaking, mm-hmm. this kind of change in the idea of what's okay to tell what stories are okay to talk about and what people see as, as storytelling or glorification. And it's, I can't say that I'm an expert on it, but it, it's very, it's been very interesting to watch and very confusing and at times troubling and at times heartening. Um, it worries me as a writer and director because there's a lot of things I want to approach that I'm going to go, it's going to be uncomfortable for people. Yeah, like one of my one of my pilots that I want to make is about kind of the sexual politics of women who work as dominatrixes, mm-hmm. and I did an enormous amount of research on. And I mean, it kind of reminds me of you know some of those responses of like it's kind of that thing of going, oh okay, are men going to get mad at me because I am depicting a very specific sexually political world where they're like, oh well. You know, all the men in this are getting beat up, and I'm going, okay, not really. Just the men who are clients who have paid for this service. And it's and are in, making the choice. Yeah. And then I, and not all of them are also, it's not also depicting all men as fetishists because not all men are. Yeah. It's, it's just very interesting because I, I've always been a person, I think when you're, when you're born to an acting family, I've always been able to acknowledge essentially what the accountability is so when i you know you're born into it and you understand very young or at least i did that there's a lot of things that can reflect back badly because people already have a perception or whatever the case may be Mm -hmm. and so i found accountability and self-awareness for what you consider to be your actions very young now that can make you very self-conscious as well and i'm sure that there were many years where i kind of avoided rocking any boats because you're going well what about the response but it has gotten to a point where I think so many people, especially when it comes to entertainment, are so focused on response as opposed to the story. And I wonder what that's going to do to creativity here. Well, I feel like, <clears throat> you know, I'm in the middle of writing something that has several color, uh, that has several people um, who are people of color. And, and with that... For me, you know, my, I feel like my personal slash professional responsibility, you know, whether if I'm writing about, you know, whatever it is, 
you know, that if I don't have all of the information or if it's a lane that I'm not accustomed to driving in, Mm. that I'm then going to reach out to a few select individuals, you know, whether they be people of color, if I'm writing about people of color, whether it be, you know, um, a person who is Muslim or a person who is transgendered, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, in order to say, hey, this is what I've written. Can you consult on this? Mm -hmm. You know, what are your thoughts? What am I leaving out? What should I include? And and so I feel like I was having this conversation with somebody the other night. You know, I had seen a movie that had depicted that essentially every single villain in the movie was a person of color. Mm. Every single villain in the movie was a person of color. And every single villain in the movie was a Muslim. Mm -hmm. And the hero, even though they were a person of color... They were adopted into a white family and were a Christian. Mm-hmm. And I, I broached the subject with the filmmaker and I said, you know, <clears throat> why, why was that choice made? Was it intentional? You know, and, you know, he told me a story that um, the actors that they had originally hired had dropped out at the last minute and he had had some friends and they happened to be um, people of color and just hired them. But for me, I feel as though that as a filmmaker, that there is a responsibility in terms of ethical filmmaking in, 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 sure. in, this, in this way. Sure. Where... Specifically, you know, in this country, and this is just my my personal opinion, my personal experience, where <clears throat> excuse our helicopter briefly excuse the coming helicopter. and saying hi. We're um, outside. We are outside. Maybe you don't hear it. Maybe you do. Um, you know, but that I feel as though we all have personal blind spots and and I think being aware that every single person has a personal blind spot, myself included, and wanting to do due diligence and put out the best content that I possibly can. Um, and it's not it, and for me, it's not about quote unquote not offending every anybody and making sure everybody's happy. Yeah, I think that's happy. more what I was talking about is that like, you know, again, every character, unless you make them so broad that they're not an individual, mm-hmm. which there's no point about, is not going to be every person's story. Absolutely. So even like when you had someone consult on something or like even so, you know, me spending two months in a dom den to write the script. Yeah. Yes, I got to experience 12 different women's personal stories, but that said, it's 12 different women and there's thousands of others and absolutely you know it'll be interesting to see i think that that's also the thing is is it's like we as individuals 
have individual opinions Mm -hmm. and have individual journeys. And a Mm -hmm. lot of people are starting to defend the individual journey Mm -hmm. or other people's individual journey. Mm -hmm. And that's not a bad thing. It's not that I'm vilifying that. It's just that I think that that's what's starting to affect what is otherwise an art form that's, I mean, at its very core, meant to be seen by as many people as possible. Yeah. Um, and, And I guess, you know, for me, it's I... I look at, I probably, from last May until now, I've read now close to 300 scripts. Yeah. And the majority of those scripts feature a white male protagonist. And if they Mm. don't, and they feature a woman or a woman of color, I have found, especially if the writer is a male, presumably white, that the characters are so incredibly one-dimensional. And I know that every single film, you know, for me, if if it's done honestly and it's done authentically... That yes, it is one person's experience. With that, though, I feel very, very strongly that I cannot write a script about a woman of color in the lead mm-hmm. um, and just say, well, this is what it is. Because A, I've never had an experience of being a woman of color. And B, if it is a story and... this gets like a little off the wall, you know, but if I'm sitting down and like, I just all of a sudden have a vision, just a scene comes to me, a character comes to me that I desire to explore. Um, Even though it's going to be an individualized story, I really do still feel as though I don't trust myself enough Just as a being, because again, I know that I have my own blind spots. Sure. Um, to then be able to go to other individuals in my life, you know, and say, hey, how am I with this? Am I good with this? Am I not good with this? And the truth is, is that like, I write, I write about my experience in the sense of um, I write what I know like that's what I'm comfortable with and I know that like the extension of like you just wrote something you know in regards to like the politics of the dominatrix industry which I'm so excited to read um and you yourself are not a dominatrix, but you did the work. You went there and you were there for two months and you interviewed and you spoke with and you conversed with and you developed relationships with. Yeah. Right? So that that to me is ethical. Sure, but it's also that's a, that's where I think also, you know, the difference between what you're talking about and I can't speak to these three hundred scripts because I'm I'm sure some of them we have in common. I'm sure some of them we don't. Um, most of the time when I see that, and it doesn't necessarily mean they're bad writers, what you're talking about, it means that they, that's a bad script. So if a character is so one dimensional that they were essentially either 
A human prop. Yeah. That's the strange thing about, I think, what a lot of people are doing these days is they've stopped challenging themselves. It's a weird thing, too. Look, I write, I think you and I write also very different things. Shrimp being an exception for me. Shrimp being the dominatrix one, in case everyone's like, why is she talking about crustaceans? (laughs) Um, I don't write about my life. Yeah. I write essentially, usually, horror films. Yeah. And thrillers. Because I've always been more fascinated by what would be considered almost like a, a very individualist mm-hmm. people, like killer, like killers and all of that, and, and kind of their psyche, and very specific things in, in terms of crimes or, you know, especially in science fiction um, philosophies. So I approach it from that standpoint as well, where for me, in most of my scripts... Because I'm approaching something so specific in terms of a story, so serial killers or various different things like that, Mm -hmm. they don't have a race to me. Um, So, and I don't think it's the same way when I spoke to to some guys who worked in like basically catching serial killers for a long time. They were friends of my parents. And they didn't really have a, a profile on female serial killers. And I remember finding that so strange and asking them why. And they were just like, it just never really, you know, everyone was searching for men and we believed we had the profile for it. And to be fair, quite a few people fit it. And so I went, okay, well, what about an individual that didn't? And what about a woman that didn't? And various different things. You know, it's, it's, film is such an interesting thing for me because, and I like this, I like this individualist movement. I do like people asking questions because I think they're also approaching what is essentially their own opinion on film, which mm-hmm. I think people should have. Yes. Now, that said, I don't know if it will change. I don't know if it should. I don't think an individual opinion should change an entire artistic industry. It's kind of like how, you know, there were people that really hated um, kind of outsider fashion because they're like, it's ugly. Like if you think of uh, Ray uh, Kawakubo, who was the Comme des Garçons uh, designer for, uh, still is, I think, actually. Um, and it was kind of that version of, of uncomfortable haute couture, but also just like it, it was meant to push boundaries. It was meant to not necessarily be just something pretty that a girl would want to wear to prom or to their wedding. Yes, yes. And because it wasn't pretty, people were like, oh, my God, this is so stupid. Yes. And that's such an interesting idea to me is that things that make people uncomfortable, they no longer want to exist. And I actually think that there's an enormous amount of artists that have – inhabited that and forwarded mm. art and then politics after it because of their existence. And I just hope that this kind of current movement doesn't stop some of those people from creating, knowing full well and should and they should accept that, by the way, in any art form, even if you are literally like America's sweetheart, not everyone's going to love you. Absolutely. After Dad died, as much as it was millions and millions of people expressing their love and joy and how much she meant to them, there will always be people who are like, oh, God. And you're just like, you're never going to please everyone. Absolutely. And I think it's important for people to know that going in. But I don't think people should stop pushing what would be considered boundaries, even specifically to get a reaction. Um, it's... And that might be a very unpopular opinion in certain groups. I've I've never wanted art to be limited by just what other people wanted to ingest. Well, I guess you know, <clears throat> I look I look at it this way, right? Where there was there was a movie that 
I didn't see, but just based off the trailer alone, that was a lesbian film, Mm -hmm. you know, and typical narrative. Mm -hmm. You have, and I wrote a whole entire Twitter thread on it. Um, And I got called out by two people saying that I was biphobic. I was like, absolutely fucking not. Um, But for all appearances, you know, it's the typical, there's a girl who by all appearances is straight. Hmm. And there is a, you know, butchy lesbian. Mm Mm-hmm. That's the outsider that comes in and this woman is all of a sudden intrigued and she's engaged to like be married to this dude. And she's like, I can't, I can't do this, you know? And like that butch lesbian character is like, you can. And they're always like a foreigner. They always have an accent. That just seems, yeah. And they end up, like, having this affair. And uh, it's fucking clandestine. And the, like, dude finds out about it. And, like, what's going to happen? Right? Is this Carol? (laughs) No. Because I loved Carol. I fucking loved Carol so much. I'm kidding. It just falls along a different, a similar plot. Similar, but very, 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 very different. Because here's the difference is that... We knew from the beginning that um, Rooney Mara's character was not interested in that dude. Yeah. Like, we knew from the beginning she was not interested, kept on rebuffing his advances. And she's working at this department store. And all of a sudden, we see from her POV that she is captivated by this woman. And she's the one that takes the action. Yeah. Um, to let her know about the gloves. So, so the point is this, is that here's a fucking narrative that I've seen 10 million gazillion times before, you know, that is to me, I consider it like a very stereotypical trope of, um, telling like a fucking like quote-unquote like lesbian narrative yeah. and I remember like one person had commented and was like you know like why are you gonna shit on like the clandestine like the clandestine like bah, 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 like illicitness you know like the like fantasy aspect and for me it's <clears throat> it continually paints you know, um, lesbians, especially the lesbians that are more masculine in nature as predators, you know, yeah. based based off what was shown directly in the trailer and based off almost every single fucking film I've seen coming out of America. Yeah, but I will say to that point, like, and I wrote, a, I, the first script I ever wrote was when I was dating women primarily. And I faced something that I it was it, certainly common here, but I feel like is common elsewhere as well, depending on the person. Mm-hmm. I, as someone with a low voice, and as someone who's had a shaved head, and as someone who's dated women as well as men and loved both, um, I've been viewed as predatory in the past, or I've been viewed, yes, 
It, it ha- you know, it's a, it, everyone has a different version of their their story and how they've been treated. And I also had something that would happen to me quite often, which was, you know, when I first moved here, I had a lot of friends who were actresses. Yeah. Who inherently generally have not necessarily problems. There are plenty who are really normal as well. But I will say more often than not, they're, they're very hinged upon other people's reactions to them. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I used to have a conversation more often than I would like. Which would be when an actress friend of mine had had a man mistreat her and she would be drunk and she would come over and say, you treat me better than any man ever has. Let's make out. No, like uh, maybe we should be together. And I, and I would always have the same response of being like, look, tomorrow you're going to be straight and sober. And I'm going to have been by and sober this whole conversation. And I based a kind of script about that mentality that was a bit of it was colored with Thelma and Louise as well because I was real into that movie at that time oh my god what i'm wearing (laughs) no what are you wearing i love it no so i wrote this script that i hope i get to make one day which is essentially about that idea of how other people also see characters like the the character that was based upon my journey yeah is never explicitly stated herself what her sexuality is she's she's queer but we don't know if she's bi or lesbian other characters interpret her as lesbian simply because of the way that she is Mm -hmm. you know it was based upon how how a lot of people saw me if i would turn down a drink at a bar and i had this pixie cut and i had this low voice guys would be like oh so you're just a lesbian then and it was kind of this qualify other people needed to qualify an interaction with me and so i wrote the script that i didn't base in la because i think that would have been terribly boring but in, in the middle of the country of two girls at the age where you would explore a lot of sexuality, at the age where you would uh, figure out a lot about yourself and your boundaries, figuring that out. And the main point of the characters not even being their sexuality, that one is giving and the other one needs to take because she's so broken. Mm. And the way that... And, and, and that most people... Anyone who's empathic has navigated that relationship, and arguably anyone who's narcissistic has as well. They've just yeah. probably not noticed. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, and I think it's very interesting in in this regard. Um, and I think you and I have talked about this before. Um, and I actually, I feel like I brought it up on another episode that I did with Alexis Gizal, um, who's like this like YouTube star, and like she's 19 years old, and like came out last year. Yeah. Um, just so fucking crazy. I feel so old. Um, you know, but for me, like it, it makes me think of, I remember that the first time that I had fallen in love, mm. I was 16 or 17 and it was a girl that was presumably straight, mm-hmm. you know, and I was the only woman that she had ever been with, you know, um, and slash the first slash first only <laughs> whatnot, you know, and there was a sense of brokenness in her that I was definitely attracted to in, in this regard. And I'm just recognizing this in this second. Um, <clears throat> that there is something definitely to be said when one is first discovering coming into acceptance of their sexuality and their sexual orientation and who it is that they are attracted to that when they are received in that way um and there's a nurturing and there's a 
you know, the one person on one hand is so grateful that, you know, they, they finally feel understood. And the other person on the other hand, you know, feels grateful that they're getting to be utilized and they're getting to be seen. Um, it's it, it's a very 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 interesting thing I think especially you know amongst women I can't speak to gay men because I'm not a gay man <laughs> you know um, but as a lesbian just that <clears throat> I have something especially when it you know went with this like girl who was straight that oh wow even though she's quote unquote straight she's still in love with me which means then that I get a sense of validation that who I am as a being is not wrong Mm -hmm. that like I'm actually okay Mm -hmm. and here's the evidence and here's the proof um you know, which is very, very selfish. But forgive me, I was a teenager and I was well, just selfish gets into looked it. selfish gets looked at in in mostly negative ways. And to be fair, it can be a very negative thing. But we are inherently still individuals, are we? Well, <laughs> we can talk about that if you want. There's a whole there's a whole school of thought on some of those things. No, I meant in the sense of like, so I can't, I will never be able to unless they somehow figure out the whole like brain mind meld thing I'll never be able to see through someone else's eyes and as close as we'll probably ever get is actually as actresses we play other characters all the time I hate that word I hate actress actor thespian whatever you want to call it thespian thespian um and it was interesting. Scott, I'll, I'll bring it full circle again Scott actually told me something that was really wonderful that when I was in a dark place about this industry and about scripts I kept getting of very two-dimensional women that even though they were two-dimensional, I still was like, I love working. I'll go in for this. And then I wouldn't even get them. And it was this whole thing. And he went, look, the only problem you arguably have as an actress and call this, you know, blowing smoke up your ass for whatever it's worth, when is no one was going to write you. Exactly. And it's not to say that I'm this enormous individual, but it is to say that there's, an, there's a lot of men who write scripts, and women too. This is not limited to one type of writer, but I will say that I think women have had more experience with a variety of women. Yes, and being women. Yeah. Um, and he went, you, you're, I'm sure you can cut off limbs and make yourself smaller to inhabit roles that are smaller than who you are. But that said, and this isn't to discredit these women, it's not to say that they are smaller, but there's going to be women who more perfectly fit that role than what you are struggling to do. So playing a cheerleader, playing these parts where I'm just arguably not well suited to that. He was like, it's not that, and, and, there's a, and there's a plethora of those parts for women. It's just that they're not particularly looking for someone like me to struggle hard to fit something like that. And he was like, you, even if you're not going to play the parts that you write, you need to write women like you. Because, yeah. yeah, you know what? There are a bunch of guys that will write women as cheerleaders or write women as sexy assistants or love interests. And love interests are inherently a tricky thing. 
because most people are writing what they want in a partner or what they perceive that other people should want in a partner or what they perceive that the world needs to see in love to find happiness. Yes. Um, and as someone who has only ever basically been told in no uncertain terms that a lot of men were shocked when they fell in love with me, which I'm like, it wasn't a magic trick. <laughs> it's women have never brought it up to me. Any woman that I've been in love with has never brought it up like that. But men inherently, they act as if I've pulled the wool over their eyes because they never expected to love me. Mm. And it's a very interesting thing because you're going, they had a perception in their head. Of a particular person. Now that said, you know, especially being single now, obviously I wasn't <laughs> the person they were going to wind up with anyhow. But that's not the point. You know, I think a lot of guys cast what they would like for themselves. Yeah. And that's, again, that's not all people. But it's just, it's just interesting to watch and to witness and to, and to pay attention to. In an industry I love very much. I love my job. And anything that I see as a perception is generally not a complaint. It's an acknowledgement. Yeah. I have nothing to complain about. I'm in an industry that is, by all accounts, difficult, of course, but also, like, incredibly easy in other ways and rewarding. And I'm lucky, unlike a lot of people on this earth, to be doing something that I love incredibly and to support myself doing it. You know, that's that's a rarity in any field yeah. to truly love what you do. Yes. So my acknowledgments of the way that the industry work and that have been that have been cemented by other people who've been there, too, and who've agreed with it. I mean, I used to talk to my dad about it, my mom. You know, it's awareness of anything makes things more complex. If you avoid the awareness, it's, it's, you'll probably be fine. It doesn't mean that you can't be successful. There's an enormous amount of people in many industries that avoid the depth of what they're doing and the various different and, – and arguably the results. Yeah. Um, and they may live a happier life and that's actually – I'm envious in a lot of ways. I can't do that. Yeah, no. I get it. And so with anything we're talking about and acknowledging what we're talking about as well about results, so the response – especially when you're making art. I think because the response is finally just um, changing in a way where I think a lot of individuals want to see their individual story, in which case I, I wholeheartedly, as someone who didn't ever see mine, say, write it. Because it's arguably the only way you're going to see your literal individual story out there, which yeah. may also relate to a lot of other people. But. I mean, and, and I, I just want to stop you on that point. Yeah. Um, because... A, I agree with every single thing that you're saying. A hundred and fifty gazillion percent. I agree with everything that you're saying. And in terms of write it, you know, <clears throat> I think then that there's, because I've read, I've read so many scripts. Yeah. I'm like, should get fucking made, which is like why I'm so excited, you know, to like be birthing a production company, you know, and actually like getting to take action on like the things that I've desired to take action on for a long time, you know, but if the majority of the storytellers or quote unquote gatekeepers, you know, are straight white men that get to say yay or nay. And, <clears throat> and I'd say that's more the producers and the writers, but yes. Um, 
you know, or you the studio can, heads. Yeah, it, it's it's you can write all you want, but writing doesn't automatically mean that you or your story are going to get to be seen, which is why then I'm grateful for someone like yeah. Scott Derrickson that, you know, actually walks the walk yeah. and is willing to walk in, you know, with a female writer, a female director, you know, um, and give them mentorship and give them... Um, well, look, I think that that struggle, arguably saying, I still think everyone should write their individual story mm-hmm. and then understand what the struggle to have it qualified and released mm-hmm. is, because then they'll also understand what the machinations of this industry are. I mean, the sheer uh, hoops that people have to jump through, um, some of which are less, again, what we're talking about with the white men and all of the various different things. And it, I think it's important for people to see that. Not because their story isn't qualified by them and isn't important to them, but just to see what the difference between creation and not popularity, but creation and status, rele- quo. status quo are. You know, I, I read a really interesting blog, which was like, how would people right now mm-hmm. um, review movies from the golden age of cinema mm. where it was? by all accounts, all very straightforward stories. So it was heterosexual couples. They tended to be white, uh, yeah. with rare exception. Yeah. Um, if you look at things like Marlon Brando playing a Chinese man, um, there's very Mickey Rooney. Things. Yeah. Yeah. That has, that now would not be okay. Yeah. But that's also where history and expansion comes in. Of saying, so it doesn't mean that Casablanca isn't a great movie. And it doesn't mean that an enormous amount of people didn't relate to it in spite of not seeing themselves in it. It's it's always been interesting to me. And I think, again, that's also part of the expansion of culture. That being not okay now is great. No one should be in yellow face now. No one should be in black face now. No one should be arguably, arguably playing another ethnicity now because Why? Mm-hmm. So the the evolutions that are happening, I think it's hard for people to see because they do tend to take time. Everything takes time. And I think people don't want to hear, like, I want you to pat me on the back for how far we've come because there's no point in that. It also wasn't like ne- neither you nor I were part of how far we've come. That's just the time and the world evolving and politics evolving and people's tastes evolving so no one person right now arguably deserves to be patted on the back for how far that's evolved yeah and and i will say this you know because you you bring up a good point you know in regards to blackface yellowface you know um white actors playing another race and and here's the deal. It's like we are in 2017, you know, and you have movies like Gods of Egypt, you know, like well, yeah. the Ridley Scott fiasco. Historical movies are very interesting or in that case, not really historical. Well, yeah, it depends on how you look at it. I'm agnostic, so and, I can't speak. To and again, it's, it, you know, so in terms of how far we've come, um, I feel like there are a lot of individuals, particularly within our industry, 
um, especially those that are so used to crumbs, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Why do you I, think none of my leads have an ethnicity? Because not unlike with Ripley and Alien, I would prefer that the best person for the job was whoever presented. Absolutely. And, and I would say this, though, too, because <clears throat> I just had a conversation with a writer um, who whose script that I, I was looking at and saying, well, <clears throat> there, there is no race, you know, I'm connected to these characters. And he was mm-hmm. like, well, you know, like <clears throat> I'm, I'm colorblind. Well, that's to, a whole other conversation. That's a whole other conversation. In my case, I'm like, I don't care who plays a serial killer because any ethnicity could have had. Yes, Absolutely. When they when they use it as an excuse to write <laughs> to write non fleshed out characters, it's an entirely. I find it. I you can spot those scripts from a mile away. Yeah, and I guess and I guess this is what it is that if you are then going to a studio or you are going to a production company and you are desiring to get your film or your TV show made, mm-hmm. right, and they then read the script, they're automatically going to assume that the character is quote-unquote white, quote-unquote straight, mm-hmm. quote-unquote whatever the fuck, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and more times often than not, like the things that I've been really excited about is that getting to read a script and getting to see the character that they desire for me to audition for. And then especially if it's um, a script you know, that's like an action thing or like whatever the fuck. And I always find the character that is typically written as a man, but could very easily be played as a woman. Again, it's why Ripley means so much to me. And so, so I guess it's the, um, I think that there is a balance and I think that there are, other steps that need to be taken in this regard Mm -hmm. that again I feel that not all but most casting directors most producers most studio heads whatever have a very 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 limited mindset well and yeah and that comes also from what they so uh, the idea of funding a movie so they'll hire people based upon what money they could essentially bring to the project because those they have a name that opens a project in wider theaters, various different things. But also ethnicity has become very black and white. Like I found it so interesting during the Oscars so white controversy that they still had jokes about Asians as a response to it. When I'm going, so you're just, it, it's a very... It, I find I find I have a very mixed relationship with the idea of some things only needing to be qualified by an ethnicity, but I think that's because I have a mixed ethnicity that no one can see from just looking at me. Yeah, and it's that thing where it's like, okay, I pass as white. So they have me go in for white girls a lot, but yeah. I don't tend to be white enough to get the white girls. And yeah. then because no one's writing scripts about mixed race Filipino women <laughs> for the most part, you know, it's uh, it, you fall into a weird central area where you're not white enough and you're not ethnic enough for various different statements that need to be made 
And maybe then again, that's probably part of the selfishness of the things that I write, not really having an ethnicity be uh, the qualifying trait of my characters because I don't really have an ethnicity that is a qualifying trait of me. No one knows yeah. what I am. Absolutely. And so my female characters, especially the ones that I will say, it's like I wrote them based upon me whether I play them or not weren't written saying like mixed race Filipino girl yeah. so that what no one else could play it because yeah. I'm the only one yeah no like, I the guess the wonderful thing about Tiggers is I'm the only like <laughs> it's just that thing of like I can't it's it's just it's a very interesting conversation one that I love listening to one that I've sat back and listened to from a lot of actresses of various different ethnicities especially some of my friends who are Asian yeah and they're like yeah, dude, because people don't understand Asians, I keep playing like Thai and Chinese and I'm Japanese. And it's just that strange. Or people who keep trying to tell me, oh, so you're part Filipino, you're Pacific Islander. And I'm going, well, no, I'm, I'm Asian. Yes. We've been mis kind of labeled as Pacific Islander yeah. in the past. And even I at one point thought that and then was told the truth about it from my grandfather. It's like it's a whole mishmash that is still ahead of us. They haven't sorted out, and they still, arguably, they still haven't sorted out even, you know, things for black actors. But they're starting to do that with a bit more, even if it's misplaced sometimes, because I've watched white producers say real stupid shit. This year, there was a character on a big TV show, and they were looking specifically for a mixed race lead. Now, mm -hmm. what they meant by that was half black and something else. They weren't going to state that because that's a weird thing to state. Mm -hmm. But I literally had a friend go in and these white producers were sitting opposite her. And they wanted her to prove that one of her parents was full black because they did not believe it. So they wanted her to show them a picture. And that's the behind the scenes of how this is expanding and what this world is. And I won't say the project, but... It's a very – and so like – and I was deemed as not mixed race enough, which I've had happen a lot when they say they want mixed race characters. They mean visibly. It's a very interesting time where the pendulum is swinging and the people who are holding the pendulum, well-intentioned or otherwise, may not know how to navigate it. And I'm not going to pretend that those people were well-intentioned because I think that that's just pure idiocy. But that said, they're still approaching any ethnicity other than something that they can visibly name. And even mm -hmm. with those, even with my friends who are Thai, who are Chinese, who are Japanese, who are Filipino. I mean, most of my friends who are Filipino have been playing Mexicans for the last 10 years. Yeah. My grandfather, when he when he immigrated here during World War II, it was safer for him to pretend to be Mexican yeah. than to be Asian. Yeah. So he never spoke Tagalog, and he pretended to be Mexican so that he wouldn't get shot while he was, you know, working on the ships. It's There's still a long way to go, and I'm glad that there's so many people who are trying to navigate that. At the same time that I see what the machinations of it are here, of it is... And it's and it's and it's strange. And there is a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of bizarre choices being made. And the only thing that I think will change it 
is by the expansion of what I've and what I've witnessed even in the last couple of years of the people that are becoming sought after and the people who are becoming big and the people who are becoming great seen as like award-winning writers and directors needing to be more varied. Yes. And I've talked about this also with Taika Watiti who is from New Zealand. Yeah. And and his kind of version of like you know, he just got announced too that he's getting to um translate Disney movies into his native tongue and how important that is and also doing movies like The Hunt for the Wilder People but also then getting to do movies like Thor the sought after people need to not just be the same thing over and over again Absolutely. and Kathleen Kennedy did something this year that I found very very interesting that I think you were part of this conversation too because Lexi certainly was hmm where they basically, there was an interview, and Kathleen Kennedy is one of the most powerful producers in Hollywood. There was an interview about Star Wars, and they were talking about how all of these stories are now very female empowerment, female-led, heroines, all of this stuff. And they basically said, why has there never been a female Star Wars director? And she was like, well, you know, we just don't think anyone presently is qualified. We're grooming... We're going to try and groom a female director to take this part. And that was very telling because you're watching and all of the people who have gotten like, I mean, I can't speak to all of them, but like, like I look at Ryan Johnson, who I've known for a long time, who is incredibly well suited to be a Star Wars director. And he worked his way up, but that was also because he was allowed to. Amen. And in the same way that, you know, I've talked to Scott about it at length, where he was like, you know, they've done it for decades. They'll give a guy who did a movie for a hundred grand. The next movie is a hundred million. Yep. It's happened many times. And they just, when, when they, they, they don't often do it for women. They haven't, I can't think of even really an example of it. I'm sure there might be one, but that certainly doesn't disprove the rule yeah. where it's like they, they kind of reward men on the prospect of what they're capable of. Absolutely. And they give them, they kind of put them in an elevator, whereas they want women to walk up the steps Amen. one at a in time. In high heels. In high heels. Backwards. And that's so very interesting to me, to even, especially to hear that from such a powerful woman, who in a lot of ways is a woman to be incredibly admired. What Kathleen Kennedy has done and worked herself up for as a woman is great. But I've never liked it when I see women that are not also actively looking at this and going, I'm up here and I want to, at this ledge that I got to, tired and sweaty, I'm going to now sit here and not help another woman up to a higher ledge. Well, because, I mean, that, because therein lies the fact there's the illusion of equality versus the reality. Well, in the illusion of, there's, there's a lot of things about the idea of sisterhood. Yes. When actually women are incredibly competitive with each other. And... And the reason for that, in my experience, is solely based off fear, where you have someone like a Kennedy, you know, um, who I've never met personally. I don't know her. However, and I've had it in my own, I've had it in my own life, in my own experience where, you know, women that I know that you know, have more stature and more power than I 
you know, I will sit and I will talk with, yeah. you know, who never offer a helping hand no. in regards to no matter how talented they say I am, no matter like whatever the fuck, because now that I'm quote unquote at the table, I need to make sure that I keep my seat at the table, yeah. which to me connotes the fact that there's still an incredible fear that it's going to be taken away. And yeah. so I'm just going to concentrate well, it's like musical on chairs. me and mine um, as opposed to then being so grateful for the opportunity yeah. that I now get to sit at the table and getting to recognize that power in addition to then saying, um, excuse me, move over because we have another chair coming in. Well, they've inherently pitted women against each other for a very long time. They being women as well, not just men. But I and find again, it come it like, and that's like the fucking like classic toxicity of like the patriarchal system. Yeah. And look, it's, I can't pretend I'm grateful because dad was always a person that, and, and he ugh, couldn't ask for anything for himself. He just didn't know how. And so he certainly didn't ask for any favors for me because I just <laughs> growing up with him, he was such a kind man and he really did help out an enormous amount of other people. He was a very giving, giving person who genuinely just loved making people happy. Mm. But he didn't know how to ask for things for himself. And I've, I've since seen that in a lot of people that I know and love. And, and because of that, I've, and I'm very good at asking for things for myself and thankfully have always pursued what, it, what I wanted to. I mean, look at Scott. I basically just was like, in no uncertain terms, you're going to be my mentor and my yeah. friend. It's a beautiful, and same it's thing. A beautiful thing. Yeah. But I've, I've gotten multiple of my friends signed as writers and as voiceover actors because they would all look at me and be like, oh, you know, I write or I want to be in voiceover work, but it seems really hard. And I went, it's not. And they go, no, it is. And I went, no, it's not. Let me show you. Go take a meeting. Go talk to them. And maybe it's not for you, but it's not. I think sometimes people just don't know that you, if you're already in the door, you can, you can leave it ajar. It doesn't mean that they'll end up wanting to stay in that house, but you can leave it ajar. And I've gotten women, men signed as writers because I was like, you are already writing. I'm not having to convince you to write because that's in a whole other game. Like so many of my other friends who were like, who are actresses and actors who have looked at me and gone, oh, I've always wanted to write. And I go, oh, well, you should. And they go, oh, well, you know, I don't know if I'm capable. And I went, okay, well, um, can't fix that for you. But generally, if you just try it, it yeah. is how you'll find out if you want to or yeah. if you can or if you yeah. can't, whatever the case may be. But um, it's been very interesting to also be able to look at the people who have given of themselves very freely regardless of me knocking on their door and being like hey help me out they didn't have to give of themselves scott didn't have to give of himself taika didn't have to give advice neil didn't have to read my scripts and give me notes the men who in wonderful ways have stepped forward and gave of themselves incredibly freely and in a non-creepy way where I can't tell you how many people then immediately assume that they're like, oh, a grown straight man yeah. is giving attention yeah. to a young actress. And you're going, yeah. it's fine, dude. Like, stop. T leave your assumptions at the door for a minute. These are people who literally just want to help. Yes. Even if that just means advice. Yes. And then beyond that, the people who have gone 
above and beyond and said, I will help you get stuff made because I believe you're qualified to do that and I believe you can do this. You know, it, it, it's it's very heartening. And, it's, and it is sad in some ways that the only people who have done that are all straight older men. But at the same time, too, having seen... You know, like if I look at Scott, who has this incredible marriage to his wife and his and loves the crap out of his kids, who he constantly shows horror films to because they're so much like him. And they like named their dog Ripley. And <laughs> I was like, yes. Nerdy young boys who love female heroines, I'm all for. Yes. You know, it's that thing of like, it makes me very happy that they've seen what they're capable of. And they, they're leaving a door ajar for me. Amen. That arguably someone else might not have been able to. Yeah. Absolutely. And here's the truth is that like, A, I completely agree with you. B, it makes me think. <clears throat> so there is this musician named Lindsay Cat, who I've known now for, oh my God, holy fuck. It's like been 10 years. Um, and in 2014, she was getting ready to, um, do something that hadn't been done before at the time, which was to create a visual album. Mm. And she had gotten in touch with me and she said, I want you to direct. Oh, you showed me this email. Um, no, the result continues. Did, did I show you? Yeah. You showed no, me the result. I actually don't know that I've shown you the result. I think you tweeted it. Yeah, but I didn't show you the result. Result. Oh. I'll show. No, it I haven't to seen the short. After. I meant the way they, I'll what show the, you the short after the response. Um, yeah, and like it just won the audience award at the Rhode Island um, Film Festival, and you know she. Here you have somebody that you know is is well known in in a certain respect but like isn't well known then by other people and coming to me someone who is a friend of hers that had never directed before and saying I want you to direct and the gratitude that I felt yeah in regards to her being willing to take a chance you know um which is absolutely absolutely fucking huge you know, and <clears throat> what I find is this, is that the individuals that have gone to bat for me and hold space for me and champion me mm -hmm. and root for me and extend their hand and hold open the door. Like, it's why I fucking, like, love Michelle Obama and, like, the 2008 Democratic National Convention she said that, like, when you, when you get to walk through the door of opportunity, don't shut it. Keep it open. Yeah. And, like, allow other people to come through, you know? And, and so I guess just the... <clears throat> I feel as though people that have actually, quote-unquote, struggled in regards to getting to where they are. Yeah. Um... You know, some people take the fast track elevator. Some people take an elevator with like a few stops. Some people take the escalator. Some people have to take the steps. 
you know, um, barefoot, walking forward. Some people have to take the Over steps. Coles. <laughs> like, yeah, whatever the no, fuck look, it is. But like the... You the, were there for my directorial debut. I know. And I will forever... And to be fair, too, when it's someone that you have fostered and loved your friendship with for mm-hmm. so long. Jojo, I've known since she did RV with Dad. And I've known her since she was 15 years old. And every time she would make music, even when she was struggling through the stuff with her old record label, I'd always say, man, I will direct a video for free. And it just, years passed, decades passed. And suddenly, I was 25. And I'd always sent her ideas for songs and just been like, one day, one day. And while this was happening, I'd keep, uh, I'd taken meeting after meeting for my scripts where they would go... We really like this, but also you're 25, and that's really young to be a director, blah, blah, blah. Oh, and suck then, it. And then suck JoJo walked in, and she was like, okay, there's not going to really be any budget, mm-hmm. and we have to do it in like a week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Once you direct a music video, and I just remember that feeling of going, it was so great to have someone I love so much have that faith in me. And when Save My Soul, when we made it, it, it's a constantly changing thing, like in the sense of what I imagined and then what you make and then what, what appears and what you get to color correct and edit and what, what it became was such a different evolution. But I will always be so grateful that the first person who had faith in me is someone who I have loved and been sisters with for a long time. So it's not a rule that ends all rule. There are women who are willing to make that chance and do that. There just needs to be more. Absolutely. fucking Well, and the only way there's going to be more is when men let them in the door and then that woman leaves the door open for all the other women. But <laughs> it's, it's a very interesting thing to... And same thing with, like, so the first people that took their chance on me for my narrative short. And I wrote something real strange. And they were like, okay. And you want to be in it too? Okay. Yeah. And you're going to direct through a hazmat suit? We'll figure it out. Yeah. Which was fascinating, by the way. If any of you are writers and aspiring directors who also want to be in your stuff, which is fine. Everyone will tell you it's narcissistic. It's not. It's fine. Look at Taika Waititi. He's in every single one of his movies. <laughs> and that motherfucker, when I talked to him, he was like, no, no, no. You ask for everything up front. Yeah. Don't ask for less because you believe that they're not going to give it to you. Because, by the way, if it gets in the way of you getting it made, then you can... You, it's a deal. You can you can continue to negotiate. Yeah. But you should ask for everything up front. And most of the time when people tell you it's hard or impossible, it's just because they've never seen anyone else do it. Absolutely. Not because they actually know for sure that you can't. Amen. Because they don't know you. A-fucking-men. And that makes me think of like when you were saying about women. Although if you're going to direct through a hazmat suit, get really good at charades. Okay. Thankfully, I'm really good at it. So we figured it out. But... I couldn't hear anyone else, and they could all hear me. And also because I had lights in my hazmat helmet, I couldn't see them. <laughs> so they would have to, like, yell in the ear of my helmet. And we couldn't take the hazmat helmet off because then it would take a while to reset, and we didn't have a lot of time. You know, I didn't make it easy on myself. I did not. But, you know, still very grateful for it, and it turned out really, really fun. But ask for everything. I'm tired of people not asking for everything. Well, ask for what you're worth. And that's the thing is that when you were talking earlier about... Um, dismembered body parts in terms of like actresses female actors 
getting to fit themselves into like the proverbial box. Um, you know, I remember like I had had a contract that I was negotiating pretty recently. And by me, I mean, my, my reps were, and I, I had asked for something. It was like, (laughs) there you go. You get it all clearing my throat. I have a low voice. We got to figure this out. We clear throats. We burp. We fart. It's true. I even occasionally take a shit. It's a, it's (laughs) Oh my my God. Continue. Um, (laughs) after my bodily interruptions, I love you. Um, no, but I remember that, like, I, I had, it was an independent film, aka no money, budget, <laughs> independent 100 film. bucks a day. 100 bucks a day. Make more money flipping burgers. Like, seriously, you guys, because here's the deal, and like, because I could hear people being like, um, yeah, 100 bucks a day, and you're And for like a 14-hour day. Yeah, 14 to 18 hours. Um, which is and less that is, that depends than, on if it's portal to portal. Yeah, it's <laughs> less than minimum wage, a lot less, and um, whatever the fuck, you know. But like, there's this thing where like you can potentially get like back end, you can get points, like ba ba ba. We're like, you're willing to do this thing, but like ba 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 for like back end if it does well. And, like, most times you, like, the only thing that happens with your back end is that you get fucked. Um, You don't really ever get anything. Um, No, I've yet to. I've yet to reap the benefits of any of those points on the back end. like, with this thing, like, I actually might. Um, And I remember going to my my reps and saying, okay, this is what I want, X, Y, and Z. Um, Because normally it's, like, if you, if the movie grosses... $5 $5 million in the theater, then you get like a $25,000 bonus, you know, um, as an actor, like, because you're cutting your rate, you're cutting your quote, all this shit. And I had done the math and I was like, no, this is, this is what I want. And I went to my reps and they were like, you're not going to get this. You're not going to get this. No. And I was like, Ask for it. Ask for it. Mm-hmm. Which also, like, says a lot in regards to what your reps think that you're worth. Yeah. And that idea of playing the game. And, like, That's why I love my reps so much, shit. man. Um, and I asked for what I wanted and what I knew I was worth. And I got it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that then shapes, you know, negotiations for future projects. And... And I feel as though, like, women in general. We've been told not to ask for what we want. Yeah, but, like, especially in this industry. Yeah. Where it's all about being good, not rocking the boat, ba-ba-ba, all this fucking shit. And I will say, this applies to men and women. Pick the hill you're going to die on. Understand that if you want to do this project, if Mm -hmm. they come back... What you have to do is negotiate. Yes. Or step away. You can do, you yes, can play you hardball, can, hardball, but. powerful that phrase was, called no. Yes. Oh, I've been teaching the definitive no to a bunch of my actress friends who are so wonderful and I love very deeply, but who have, you know, one of my friends who is this the most beautiful inside and out girl that men are constantly throwing themselves at. And she's like, and it's hard because 
I constantly feel beholden to a response. And I went, okay, I'm going to teach you a definitive no. We're going to go, you know, when we're at bars, you need to not be cute and giggly. You don't, it's not that you need to be mean, but you can literally say no and walk away. You don't know these people. They're not your friends. And you saying no doesn't mean that you're a bad person. Amen. It doesn't mean, again, you don't have to debase yourself and become a bitch, but you can also. It's fine. But, like, you can just say no and not have to make it giggly and not say I'm sorry and not say whatever. But that was a similar conversation to what I had with one of my the, – the first feature I'm going to do where I remember – I love my team so much. My, my writing uh, agent – who is this wonderful man who is essentially every wonderful teacher you've ever had who is kind of a curmudgeon but in the best possible way. And I didn't think he would take this script because he never does thrillers or horror films. And I remember getting this call where he went, I'm going to do it. I'm going to rep it. I'm not going to hand it off to one of my guys who does horror films. I think this is a great script and it it defies genre and it's just, it's great. Yeah. And I'm going to do it. And I went, yeah. okay. Uh, Frank, you know I'm also in it. <laughs> And he went, oh. <laughs> he's like, oh, God, you couldn't make it easy. And I went, uh, you can back out now. Yep. You yep. can back out now. But I want to come into this saying I'm not going to, if if they literally cannot make it or fund it with me in it, fine, we'll renegotiate. Yeah. But I'm going to come into it and ask for everything because I'm not going to be in every script I write. Mm-hmm. But I actually do believe that they would make it harder for me to be in scripts I write down the line. If I didn't start with one that was so inherently me and being in it and asking for everything from the beginning. And he went, no, 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 no. I'm not backing out of this. I get what you're saying. Yeah. Makes it a little harder. I'm going to have higher expectations of you. And I went, I would hope you would. Just because I've only ever met them. Yeah. And it is that thing of like, you can't be afraid of responses you haven't gotten yet. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. And no, I don't know what's going to happen with this feature. We're still in very early days, but at the same time, I get to walk into that room knowing I have the 100% support of people who truly believe in me. And that is the most important thing. Yeah. And that is the most important thing where it's, you know, um, getting to have individuals that are willing to advocate for you because they believe in you. Mm -hmm. And that is very, very, very difficult to find especially in this business. Yep. Um, ones that, uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's so interesting when you talk about like the hill that you're willing to die on. And, and for me, it's, I, I don't even think of them as hills anymore as mountains. Um, where, Yeah, it's the Everest you're willing to die on. Yes, the, it, it really is to a certain degree like the Everest that you're willing to die on in in this way. And I feel like, I don't know if you and I have actually talked about this, you know, but I had gotten most of the auditions that I had gotten, and this hasn't been the case, because I I changed the narrative most of the auditions that I had gotten, most of the scripts that I had gotten in the past few years were women that were in their 40s Jesus. that were a minimum of 250 pounds. Christ. Yep. And I'm 34. 
<clears throat> maybe 135. And I I would receive these and be like, "Hey, what the fuck? Um do, do do you know what I look like? Do you know who I am?" And B there was that push towards well, you know, like you've got to say yes and blah, 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 and just get in the room and do all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. But, like, as an actor, you know, there's something to be said about Melissa McCarthy can be loud and crass in a way and have it be funny in a way that I cannot. Um, <clears throat> and that, and I, I am going to preface this. Like, I, I'm going to preface this whether it is right or whether it is wrong. But it really is the fucking reality. That unless you are like a Melissa McCarthy or like a fucking... Um, Margot Martindale? Not even Margot Martindale. I was going to say I uh, who I do fucking love. Uh, Jane Lynch. Oh, yeah. So but, are these mainly comedies? Yeah, where it's Melissa McCarthy can get <sighs> away with... Women in comedy is such a... <clears throat> tough subject for me man well she can get away with she can get away with being loud and being crass and being whatever the fuck in a way that I cannot because if you were a person that is um, slightly bigger you were considered less intimidating versus someone like me coming in with the same energy is just going to be considered fucking annoying yeah. and just look. That's not the weird right. thing. That's the weird thing that I. Oh God, I used to talk about it with Dad. It's just so hard the way that people look at funny women. I know, <coughs> and so and so the I navigated it with. And also, by the way, a lot of people expected me to be someone who went into comedy. Yeah. And not that this podcast gives a great example of like the fact that a lot of people think I'm funny, but I'm very like, funny. I, but it's I like bar, you. but it's like bar or friend funny. Like I would never. I literally did stand up once after Dad died because he'd asked me to try it once in my life, and I didn't. I didn't bomb, which I think was anyone's biggest fear. But it was also <laughs> like I just I hated every second of it. I'm not a comedian. Yeah. I don't want to be a comedian. Yeah. But I'm also the first person that will tell actors being funny is so much harder than being dramatically capable, than making people cry, than making people feel some. Because that can take as much as just soundtrack and good lighting and like, oh my God, she got her heart broken because mm. everyone has. Yeah. Or her kid died because yeah. that's sad and everyone yeah. knows how that works. Yeah. Being funny is just the hardest gig in the world and it's why I think comedians are some of the most interesting but generally most I don't, I don't want to say broken because I've met plenty who aren't but they just it's it's a dark thing oh, to need dark. strangers to love you to love you so much and to find you funny and you have to lift their spirits and each individual person is getting lifted and more. It's just so hard, and it's so much harder for women. It's so much harder. My God, I cannot tell you even the male comedians who will openly kind of debase the idea of funny women. 
and the critiques on women telling jokes. And it's just, it's, it's just all you comedians out there, man, you've got my heart because like my dad was one of the most loved human beings in the world. And he was still, every time he'd get off stage, he had to ask, you know, me or my mom, like, was it, was it, was it good? Cause they just, it, it's, it's so hard to tell even if the world is qualifying it for you, they're just so, it's, it's just hard, man. It's a, it's tough. And it's why I don't write comedy. I mean, arguably people find it hilarious when they find out that all I want to do is direct like genre and horror. I'm like, no, I want to be the person that like, you know, directs uh, an alien reboot in 20 years. Or I want to direct all my like horror films and my psychological thrillers and my female Hannibal movie and all of these things of like, no, that's what I love. Because, Another thing that's very universal is scaring the shit out of people. I love it. It's my favorite thing. Yeah. Sounds weird, and I'm probably a fucked up person for it, but that's my version of comedy. I don't... I, A, don't think that's weird. No. But Um, being a comedy actor... I mean, a friend of mine put it to me this way, and I think it's great. Being a comedy actor... uh, I think it was my buddy Chris who I got signed with my... Yeah, it was Chris. Who I got signed with my agency as a writer. Wonderful guy. But he said, being a comedy writer is a bit like telling a joke and waiting three years to find out if it's funny. Mm. That's why I don't, I don't generally write comedy because I'm like, God, no, no, I don't. I know when something's scary. I can't tell you what'll make everybody laugh. Yeah. It's interesting because, like, A, I'm with, I'm, I'm with somebody who is a comedian huh. who I think is so fucking funny. And ironically... She's lovely. To preface this, both Heathers lived with me um, for a brief stint. Well, I lived with Zelda and... Heather would visit Heather on a regular visit. basis. On a regular basis. <laughs> um, Zelda, like, Heather was, squared. Heather squared. That's true. H-T-O. Or the Heathers. Um, yeah, and she's, she's, like, probably one of the funniest fucking people that, like... It, because I also think of comedy in terms of... <clears throat> but you're probably also her hardest audience. But she never... She will never say to me after a show, how did I do? Mm. Which, A, I think is is so incredible. And B, um, I feel like most creatives, you know, are are so incredibly, you know, critical but there's something about her when I watch her on stage and I see her fucking connect with an audience. And, and, and that's the thing. It's that when you're able to tell a truth and the thing is, is that most truths are incredibly fucking sad that make you just want to jump out a window. Um, and it's it's like it's funny because it's sad and it's sad because it's true you know so like she's probably like I don't even want to say probably like she is the funniest individual that I fucking know um and it is so difficult to make me laugh like it really is nothing fucking makes me laugh um, oh God, taking me to a comedy show is the worst thing anyone has ever done I've had guys try and take me to them as dates and I was like Unless you're super into waterboarding, just don't, like, <laughs> you will literally never see something more uncomfortable than me going to, like, a stand-up improv night. You know, but, and I mean, I think, like, stand-up fucking improv is, like, very, very different than, than fucking comics that, 
are are very clear with yeah well there's yeah there's an inherent difference between stand-up comedy and improv i mean dad would dad would go to ucb shows which is like right nearby and every time he come into town and do one i'd go watch and it was very funny because there were all these comedians that i've since run into who'd be like oh i got to share the stage with your dad one night and we were standing up there we're going to do an improv bit off each other and literally we get up there and they give us the cue and your dad went go fetch the horses and then just went off on his own for an hour (laughs) and i was like yeah that sounds like dad you know it's just it's an it's an experience man and the people who can do it god please keep doing it even though it's hard even though i've seen it destroy people you know comedy is such a necessary thing and a bit like what we started this whole conversation on, comedians are supposed to push boundaries. Now, that said, sometimes they push them too far. But they're an incredibly, they've always been an incredibly important part of putting a mirror Absolutely. on the world. Absolutely. And a lot of them put a mirror on themselves. Like, I would never consider my dad, I, I'm sure there are jokes that now, in retrospect, someone would find controversial. But my dad was not a controversial comedian. He was just a really happy one. Like, there was never really anything that he did that... I think anyone ever saw is like, oh, he's being whatever. Like, yeah. whoever was in office, Democrat or Republican, that's that's fodder. Whoever, you know, whatever his circumstances were. I mean, I was I was the butt of jokes. Everyone, I still remember him going on, you know, some talk show at some point and calling out one of my first boyfriends. And you're like, oh, God, this is literally every child's worst nightmare. This is like being naked in front of the entire world. Yeah. But that's that's what comedians do. Is they, it's it's about their lives and man, it's. But I'll tell you, and like you and I have actually like never talked about your dad, ever. Um. But I I like will say this in this moment, and this is what I think separates, you know, um, the version of like surface funny. You know, where it's like a quick fucking gag Mm -hmm. and it's fucking bullshit and it's safe versus comedy that is very vulnerable and very authentic and very open. And and I, for me personally, I feel like the things that make me laugh the loudest are the things that are a the most tragic um and getting to have that spin on it and and that are also like very deeply personal yeah that are very deeply personal like Patton Oswald is somebody that I think of um and also Heather Patton. like Heather Terman like my love and again like I'm not being fucking biased like she has like some fucking jokes that no matter how many times I hear her say them make me laugh so fucking hard a because they're true they're true and they're from her fucking experience and b they're true on like a bigger fucking level and I feel that there is a level of insight in particular that comedians can have where they're willing to go inside they're willing to look at the darkness of a situation or their life or the world and they're able to then bring it to light on the stage 
And that said, too, though, there's no one way to do it because some of my favorite jokes from my dad had nothing to do with anything deep, like his golf joke or, like, he and I, he, he was such a big nerd. He and I sat down once and just got on this tear one day on YouTube and just watched every clip of Mitch Hedberg there was. <laughs> now, that dude, I, I, for anyone who hasn't watched his stuff that's listening to this right now, you're missing out. Because it's essentially, he was a very, very interesting character and unfortunately was an addict. Um, I think he died of a heroin overdose. Um, but his bits were essentially really, really smart but very silly dad jokes like god he did a one of my favorites is still him being like you know escalators can never be broken they can just temporarily be stairs <laughs> sorry for the convenience <laughs> or it'd be like every time i go to an open house they keep trying to tell me how many bedrooms this house has i get to decide that this kitchen it's now a bedroom <laughs> like it's just shit that it's like it just made me laugh because it was it's not that it was based in darkness, although I'm sure darkness colors everything. But, like, Dad's dad's golf joke was just... I used, he used to crack me up because it was literally just... I was looking at my dad being a nerd. What was the golf joke? Oh, God. He was talking about how the Scottish invented golf. And they were just... And he was, you know, pl- putting on his kind of Billy Connolly accent we both used to do. And he'd be like... So, <laughs> God, put me on the spot. He's talking about them being like, oh, you keep whacking at the ball. That's, we'll call it a stroke because that's what you're having, a fucking stroke. <laughs> and you have to get in the wee little hole down at the end. But, and we'll give you some hope. We'll put a little flag in it. But then we're going to put a fucking swimming pool and a sand lot in the way. <laughs> just keep fucking with you. And I just used to love it. And I'd spent so many summers with him. And all of these comedians, because the guys that grew up with Dad, they were all they were all friends. I mean, I can't say all of them, but like you know, Steve Martin and Billy Crystal was one of my dad's best friends, and to this day is one of the kindest men I've ever had the pleasure to meet. And Billy Connolly, who was arguably the first really inappropriate comedy set I ever saw, where I think one of his opening jokes was like, "The problem with fucking midgets is their wee little legs are dangling in the air." And I was like fourteen, <laughs> and my mother went, "Oh God, this was a mistake." And, you know, I I grew up with this very strange group of people, and Whoopi Goldberg too, that were wonderful. And I have all of these incredible experiences that they are what they are. And I have no other frame of reference because this is the only life I've lived. Is it? (laughs) Well, we don't know for sure, guys. Again, I'm agnostic. If the Buddhists wind up being right, it's entirely possible I've been something else before. But honestly... I'm so well aware of the sheer amount of creativity and strangeness and exploration that I got to grow up with, you know, getting to spend my summer. And it was never it was never glamorous. Comedians are not generally glamorous people, not to say that they're not incredibly smart. Every single one of them was. Every single one of them was. People, Steve Martin's one of the best magicians I've ever seen, and he like plays a banjo like no one else on the world. Uh, I've never heard a man that can state more stats about the Yankees than Billy Crystal. You know, it, every single one of them is genius in their own way. But I literally got to spend. It wasn't at events. It wasn't on red carpets. I was raised in San Francisco. It was like at a dinner table. Yeah. Getting to talk about neurology with Oliver Sacks. Getting to 
talk about life with with you know Whoopi talking about being a woman and and, and I'm so grateful for every moment of it because and that's it, you said earlier you were like you never really talked to me about your dad and I will say this for a very long time when he was alive mm-hmm. people were very strange about me being able to talk about my life because they would act as if I was name dropping. And it's a very interesting thing where I can understand their definition at the same time that I cannot express any of my stories without expressing who the people were. Amen. Because this isn't uh, the the clarity of those circumstances. I didn't I don't have anything else to qualify them with. And they were extraordinary and I wouldn't trade them for anything. At the same time, I don't talk about them all that often unless yeah. it's, you know, in these kinds of circumstances yeah. of discussing life, career, love, happiness. Yeah. So for a long time, I was afraid to because people made it seem like in no uncertain terms that that was taboo. And then I realized, fuck that. Who really gives a shit? I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> and they got more. Then, it, then the pendulum, as it tends to, swung too far after he died. Never wanted me to talk about only him. And so even when I would talk about making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, they would somehow... There'd be articles that came out where it's like literally all I talked about was something else. And they were like drawing these incredibly tenuous parallels. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah. But also, you know what? That's my, that's my fucking life. And I've come to terms with that. And it's not to say that I won't continue to exist as an individual as I, as I have. Um, and, and in the only way that you can. But... Y- perception the way that people want to look at the world i mean that's why comedians are so successful is most of them even if their perception is just of their struggles most of their struggles there are plenty of people who can relate to amen and if you can't if you can't laugh at yourself in the same way that if you can't love yourself how the hell are you going to get anyone else to love you yeah rupaul says it very well yes rupaul if you can't love yourself how the hell are you going to love anybody else can i yeah. get an amen yeah and i i fucking i i love rude Oh, God, um, I watch RuPaul's Drag Race like it's going out of style. Oh, my God. Ru's coming on this podcast, which mm. I'm really excited about. Um, you know, <clears throat> I'm going to end with this. No. Coming <laughs> on. You know, I really don't like many people. <laughs> and end and, and the podcast end. just cuts out you know what Heather doesn't like many people cut to black I don't I don't um, <laughs> I really I really don't you know and I'm a hermit and especially like this last so year yeah I haven't I like it, it, the fact that I was able to come out and do this um, at your home, like this is like the first time I think I've left my apartment in almost a week, maybe. Um, Postmates <clears throat> is a good best friend. Grubhub. Yep. Neither are getting paid to be fucking advertised on this podcast. No, we're just saying that because we're hermits who write at home. It's and true. Get food delivered. But 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 I also have to say. Um, fucking listeners that like there there are going to be um advertisements coming on to this podcast relatively soon and with that I and do there'll always be things she uses because she's a good person absolutely that is correct and that's why i love you because you know the truth. there will be no no booty 
Or hair bears. Yeah, I don't even know what the fuck those are. They're the things I always see on Instagram. It's so annoying. I like, I, I don't know. Well, it's follow... all like, it's the same way, look, with that, that kind of advertising has been in magazines forever. Let's not mince words. Like women who are like, they're like, look at this lipstick, doesn't it make me sexy? I'm like, you're all, re- you're a super, what? <laughs> like, maybe she's born with it, maybe it's Maybelline. No, absolutely every single one of the women you're using to advertise no, this was born, born with, with it. it. Yeah, shut with up. That. It's born with that. Like, fuck off. My favorite is the ones for, like, the hair bears on Instagram, and it's, like, it's people with full fucking heads of hair. I have a full head of hair. Yeah, so do I. I mean, we're lucky. Hair bear. But it's still, like, anywho. No I, offense to either of these companies. It's a whole new world of advertising, dude, but it oh weirds God. me the hell out, but You know man. what's interesting? It's because, like, the advertising is individualized. So, like, the advertising yeah. I get on my Instagram has to do with, like, spiritual books and, like, that's f- blah, that's blah, funny. blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah, like, I, like, the thing that I'm wearing right that now. That says a lot about me because one of the advertising that they say is, like, sponsored to everyone else was a gay dating app for men. <laughs> I was oh, like, my all right. God. I don't know what I've been surfing. I know. Like, the only thing that makes me think of is, like, gay porn. No, um, I was like, I've watched it. It wasn't for me. My God, I... I think maybe because most of my, like, my roommates are, you know, gay men and a gay woman. I love I gay know. porn. I'm into... I, I've never... I, I don't... I uh, <laughs> Sorry to, sorry <laughs> to all you, you dick havers out there. I don't like watching penises. It weirds me out. That said, I thoroughly enjoy the penis that I am currently, like, that I'll be currently in love with. I'm presently single, so again, there's no dicks in my porn. Yeah. But, like, no, I have no, and, and also, like, this, uh, this, they always are grunting and stuff that I'm like, I just don't, it, it's not for me. I watch a lot of lesbian porn, and it's lovely. <laughs> just, it's, I make no apologies. There is great lesbian porn out there that is not does not at all feel debasing or strange um we're gonna yeah. need to talk after this podcast yeah no i don't know i just never like dicks in porn they also like they i god I, I wonder how they find it but they literally find the most enormous penises like in a way that is like so for me being five foot three i'm looking at and going i don't want to watch this because my <laughs> cervix is hurting like just looking at it uh, at at what essentially looks like another limb yeah and it's veiny and i'm just like this is a lot yeah I've i'm never, not a size queen i guess i don't know yeah i've never i like <clears throat> based off my memory <laughs> i've never had a penis inside of me Oh, that I know you're of. A, you're a gold star? Or I forget. I mean... There's all those Hypothetically, I'm a gold star. However, mm. um, I've definitely experienced some blackouts in my life. Ah, well, yes. Um, so, who knows? I've only had one, and it's a very funny story. Because <laughs> no one else was involved. It wasn't like that kind of a funny story. We were like, and then I had sex. Now, remember, we're not making that into a casual joke here. Yeah, I no. literally was in New Orleans for a friend's wedding. And apparently I stopped speaking. I could only scat sing. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and my friend went into the bathroom because she, she tried to keep up, and that was a mistake. And she just heard noises out in the, in the room we were sharing. This was my roommate at the time. She was like, God damn it, what is Zelda doing? She's so drunk. And she came out, and this is, I don't know what this says about me. I was like, am I only obsessive compulsive when I'm drunk? Because when I'm sober, I'm not this clean. I hung up all of my clothes washed my face brushed my teeth but the bed we were sharing this queen size bed we were sharing i was butt naked spread eagle across it just scat singing (laughs) 
Have you been to blues and jazz clubs all night? And it was just one of those things where I like <laughs> was like, well, if my one blackout drunk story ended in my roommate having to push me over to one side of the bed because I just would not stop channeling, you know, Billie Holiday and just chilling butt naked, I guess that's uh, there are worse versions of myself in the world. Oh, oh, wow. That's, yeah, that's it. That's, that's literally, a, and it was so uneventful other than the sheer hilarity of having to have it be explained to me where she kept going, no, I was trying to tell you, like, Zelda, you got to move over. And I would go, scooby ba ba do do bow My roommate was like, this is the weirdest Monty Python skit on the planet. Wow. Apparently, I also grabbed my purse and just clutched it to my chest. <laughs> I think it was my drunken way of wanting to take my birth control and that I just could not continue. I just grabbed it and... Held it. Held it dear. Held it dear. Oh my God. Yeah, no, I like, I, I, the only like blackout story that like I have is that I remember being so drunk and then apparently I went missing without shoes, without anything. Wow. And I was gone for quite a few hours. And then I just reappeared. <laughs> um, I have no idea what happened. Um, like, I have no fucking clue. Um, which is why I say that, like, hypothetically, yes, <laughs> I'm a gold star lesbian. <laughs> However, the truth is, is that I... You're like, but I, I can't. Have, I can't be a hundred percent certain. I do remember that I did have a threesome once, um, and I remember the beginnings of the threesome, mm-hmm. but I don't remember the ending. And I remember the next day being like, "Oh my god, I need to buy a pregnancy test just, just in, in case." case. <laughs> <laughs> and I bought two, and I was not. Don't pregnant. they usually both come with two in them? I don't uh, like this was like fucking like way early 2000s oh, okay. like 2001 2002 um but like yes from my recorded memory I'm a gold star lesbian I've never had a penis inside of me that's an actual penis strap-ons don't count no um I do love penetration I just don't you know want it to be a live dick with balls involved yeah, balls are balls are interesting. I mean, I say this in all honesty, having loved multiple people who have possession of balls. <laughs> balls are a very strange thing. Literally, but not necessarily. I was. I also dated a wonderful guy who had one ball because he survived testicular cancer, um, and he had one of those fake testicles. And you could like, he was like, "No, you can tell the difference." And you're like, "Yes, I can." Wow. But only only via. An exploratory. <laughs> yeah. I like, I, oh my God. Like even just like sitting here talking about this, it makes me, I'm so grateful I'm a fucking lesbian. Cause you I should be. I've been through. Love the puss. <laughs> not every puss. No. Like, not. Hashtag not all puss. Not all fucking puss. Cause there is some fucking skank fucking puss. Just like there is some skank dick. It's true. Um, it is very true. However, hashtag not all genitalia. Not all hashtag <laughs> not all genitalia. Um, but yeah, I fucking like yeah, love dude. women as a whole, and I love men, but for a very different reason. Um, now that we've gone on this train, um, 
<laughs> the puss train. The, the, the puss train. Um, I'm just, you know, because like when most people, when they say like, you know, like grow some balls or like whatever, like ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba, quipping something. Oh, I'm sure pussy. I've even said it. More so, I, I like to say lady balls because we, we yeah, ovaries. Yeah, they do. They're, just, they're just higher up. Yeah, we've we've evolved to not have them be an exposed thing. Yeah, they're very well hidden. They're protected. They're very protected. Um, we keep them safe. <clears throat> you know, but like I will say this: that you know, <clears throat> when when I hear individuals use the term like "stopping such fucking pussy" or you're I'm like, like what soft and warm and welcoming, or like <laughs> fucking tough as fuck. Can deliver a bowling ball? Yeah, can deliver like a fucking eight pound head. Dude, I was ten pounds nine ounces. Holy fuck! I thank thank God that I was cut out of my mother because I don't think that she would be walking anymore. I was a massive child. Um, well, you're a fucking massive spirit, and like that's the whole entire fucking point of this diet. You were like, it was ten pounds of soul. Yeah, it was fucking nine nine ounces of baby. Nine ounces of fucking baby. My older brother used to put GI Joes between the rolls of fat on my legs. (laughs) Uh, like the spokes God. on a bicycle. Thank God. That's actually what I'm terrified of if I ever do uh, decide to have kids is like literally all of our noggins. My dad had the biggest head. My mom has the biggest head. I have a massive head. I don't think you have a massive Thankfully, head. Thankfully, it's proportional. I've learned this. Also looks great on screen. People with big heads, look. it's like a whole thing. Do you dad think went I have into a big it. head? My dad measured it, honey. You have wonderful hair, so it also is hard to tell. Thank you. Like glorious hair. But I've actually looked at pictures of myself next to friends and realized, especially in the scope of the picture, you're like, oh my God. It's only when it's directly next to a head that I guess is smaller that I'm like, holy shit, I have a huge head. My little brother, when he was in utero, they tried to tell my mother that he was going to have birth, like a birth defect because his head was so big at six months. They were like, we're just letting you know. And she went, you can measure Robin's head and you can measure mine. He's fine. And sure enough, my little brother, who's now a high school teacher, who's wonderful, was fine. He just had a massive noggin to the point where they knew very, like, months before he was to be delivered, they were like, well, birth defects or not, we're going to have to slice him out of you. Because that ain't coming. We'd have to break your coccyx to get him out. My mother was like, schedule it. Oh, my God. Cut him out. Now I'm so curious about the size of my fucking head. Go get it measured. I wear, like, a men's extra, extra large baseball cap. Which I only figured out when I went to, like, a, um, a finals game in baseball with the with the Giants. And I wanted to buy a baseball cap. Well, I wear, like, a large baseball cap. So I have a big head. I don't know. Again, I know. it's proportional. <laughs> Mine doesn't look weird. Like, I don't look like one of those bobblehead, you know, kind of characters. No, no you don't. I, I was just going to say something so, so fucking mean but funny. And I'm not going to say that. Um, well, now you have to. I don't have to because I'm in choice, Zelda. Fine. I'm in choice. No, I mean, yeah, being. I've worried about that because I was like literally like three generations, not three generations, that would be putting it too bluntly, but two generations of my family have continuously had children with such big heads they couldn't deliver them naturally. And I'm like, so glad I wasn't born in the 1600s. Also, because I'm a mixed race woman, it wouldn't have worked out well for me. But um, because <laughs> surgery has caught up to the point where now it's like fine. Like, C-sections are not the scariest thing in the world. Yeah. Do you want kids? Um, I, you know, I'm not broody. Like, I have five. <laughs> <laughs> I got five godchildren. I've raised kids. I've changed diapers. I love my godchildren so much. 
so much. But I'm also one of those people that I, I, I truly know, like, it's not one of those things where I'm like, my genetic material, whether I find a partner or not, yeah. needs to be carried on. I'm not yeah. like that. Yeah. And I'm 27, and I get, like, I have a lot of friends who at, like, 25 that fucking hit that thing where they're like, oh, my God. Yeah. And then at, like, 30, when they still didn't have a partner, they were like, I'm going to get I'm gonna get in vitro. And I was like, great, for you, dude, do it. And they were like, I want a baby whether or not I have a partner. Great. I'm not one of those where I think if I found the person that we both decided on it, be a whole other thing. If I wind up alone, not to say that I think I will because I love love and it's you wonderful. Won't. Yeah, but that said, even if my partner doesn't want kids, I'm going to be fine. Okay. Yeah. I got you. I also got two brothers, and they're both very actively trying to continue on their genetic makeup, so I'm like, I'll be fine. Yeah. Like, yeah. That, that, that line will continue. Yeah. Regardless of my vagina needing to be an Airbnb for nine <laughs> months. <laughs> no, that's, that's very fucking funny, and that's very true. I just realized, I mean, I've always known... <clears throat> It's strange because literally last night I had a pregnancy dream. Interesting. Where I was passing a friend of mine who's actually pregnant. And I was like, hi, how are you? And she was like, good, how are you? I was like, good, I'm on my way to the hospital. I'm, I'm about to have a baby. And in the dream, and I love lucid dreaming. I love getting to have the experience of recognizing that like I'm dreaming when I'm in the dream mm -hmm. and I realized <clears throat> that it was the first time in my life because I actually I felt pregnant mm -hmm. like you're like I oh my god I felt a baby inside of me mm -hmm. like I was pregnant in my dream mm -hmm. and I recognize, like, wow, this is, like, the first time in my existence that I've been in my body enough to even contemplate what it would be like mm -hmm. to share my body with yeah. another being. Which and, is that inherently female thing. And I'm, I'm 34, and I... You know, like, I've definitely, like, had the thought of, like, do I want kids? Do I, don't I want kids? Ba, 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 ba. And I recognize that, A, and I've, I've said this before in one way or another, that I love children too much <laughs> to know that I do not want children mm -hmm. in this way. That, like, I am an incredibly, incredibly nurturing maternal individual. Oh, yeah. Like, I know that without a shadow of a doubt. Like had, I take care of every person in my life. I'm with yeah. you, honey. Like, and I had, like, foster kids coming in and out of our house. Like, I know how to change a diaper. I know how to fucking, like, test a bottle on my wrist to make sure that the formula is not scalding hot and is just warm enough. And I love babies I love babies and I love children I really really do but I also recognize that I love myself more and that for me um, 
If I had a kid, uh, I would end up being like a neurotic fucking <laughs> mess. Well, I mean, a lot of parents would tell you you'd have to have more than one. You get past that. See, like literally. <laughs> so, for example, last night went to um, the L.A. River. And threw a baby in it. <laughs> threw a baby in it. No, but like last... <laughs> Trying to figure out where this tangent's going. No, so like last night, LA River, I went there because a year ago today, which was July 4th, um, I lost my well, yesterday. cat of 13 years. Yeah. Like, ah. Uh. And so last night, you know, after like a long day and ba 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 and all this shit, you know have to go to the river and went to the river to honor my cat that ended up getting eaten by coyotes um, a year ago parked where I normally don't park and we went to the river my love and I and our two dogs and a cat came out of nowhere out, like out of fucking nowhere and it was so incredibly friendly and so incredibly fucking lovely. And I wanted to take it home. Like it was a homeless fucking cat. And the whole entire point is this. Is that. <laughs> a, I have such a love for innocent beings. Mm. Like when I left that cat. Because I was, like, she, like, allowed me to pick her up and, like, whatever. But as soon as, like, we got to the car, she was, like, and, like, don't worry. Like, animal advocates. Like, I contacted fucking Kelly, who was on the podcast last week. And, like, she's, like, doing her fucking thing as, like, a fucking, like, animal rescuer. Like, it's all fine. Um, but the point is, is that <clears throat> I feel like I've just gotten my life. At 34, mm. that <clears throat> I know that if I became a mother, that A, I would have to like fuck like saving money for fucking college. I'd be saving money for their fucking therapy. Um, <laughs> like, and that's like fucking wholeheartedly true. Um, and B, Again, like, it's it's really, like, that's it. It's, like, I love children to the point that, like, I know that, like, I would not be a good mom in terms of <laughs> fucking day to day. Like, I just fucking wouldn't. I, like, I love them too fucking much. It literally would be, like, a 24-7 fucking, like, ulcer-inducing... <gasps> Oh my God, what are you doing? Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Oh my God, are you okay? Are you okay? Is everything okay? <laughs> well, there's plenty of people who've had those so mothers. Much. And I don't want to be that mother. But there's plenty of people who've had those mothers who are just like a great experience. My mom wasn't like that, but she also was, you know, she'd call me like every day. And I think at 25, we finally had the conversation where I was like, Mom, I moved out at 18. Yeah. Been taking care of myself since then. 
I will always like you want to text me let's talk but like I felt like there was times where she was like and you're not telling me and I was like okay but nothing changed from day to day like I was yeah. like what have I done today I yeah. took a shit I went and took a meeting and then yeah. I came back home and now I'm sitting at home with my dogs I fed my dogs like I was yeah. like this is and I guess and that's the thing that like I would never want to put on my child no. in, in, in but also she sense. didn't put it on me no it, and this for me is like coming from like my own personal experience and like hearing you say that and like what it quote unquote triggers within me <laughs> um, is that my adoptive mother treated me as a possession ah, yes. where it wasn't about me being an individualized being. You were an extension of. I was an extension of, and I was hers. Gotcha. And I, A, would never, ever desire to um, perpetrate that on a child of mine. But if you're already acknowledging that, I don't think you would. I mean, not to shrink you right here, but I'm yeah. just saying. It tends to come from a lack of self-awareness, not because they know what they're doing. Yeah, and I guess, you know, like... <laughs> I feel like I don't. It, 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 I think that like we as women have um, a unique opportunity to come face to face with and like ask ourselves questions. You know, in regards to um, whether or not we decide to procreate, for lack of a better term. Um, But speaking of procreation and how I personally desire to fucking procreate, which is like to continually like fucking make movies and write and change and evolve film babies um yeah film babies like really like for fuck's sakes like that to me like those are my fucking babies like sex they're the with 200 people and then it created a thing uh yeah i know <laughs> i know um that was the nerdiest laugh i think i've ever done it. i would th- i would say that it's also like probably like one of the truest laughs um, my true laugh, I sound like a wicked witch. <laughs> my true laugh, everyone's always like, God, that laugh is evil. <laughs> like the one where it's just like, it literally caught me off guard and I'm just laughing from the deepest part of my soul. It just sounds like I'm about to drop like a house on some poor unsuspecting <laughs> sister of mine that I don't have. It's just awful. Oh, uh, my God. My favorite was my my dad had a bunch of different laughs, too. Like, my brothers and I each have, like, seven laughs because it's just the way we... It's genetic, man. Like, both my brothers have a giggle like dad had, which I can't do because my voice is too low. Um, but my dad, when you really got him going, the first thing he would do, I could literally hear it on, like, a football field. He would go, ha-ha! And it would just project wherever. And it was so funny. Because it was just, you could hear it anywhere. Yeah. And I've always loved people with like, aggre- not aggressive in the sense of like, it's, it's hurtful, but just people with like a laugh that they can't hide. Yeah. 
Like you just, you know it, you know them and you're like, I can hear you. Like I lost one of my friends once when we were like 16 in a Harrods in London and I found her two floors down flirting with a guy and she always would laugh too loud when she was flirting and I was like, I know where she is. Came up and found her. Sweet Renee. Uh, Literally, uh, just I love those laughs, man. I love the la- like. It's the same thing when people hold back sneezes. I've never liked it. I love it when people don't hold back their laugh. Like it's like just enjoy it. It's the most joyful thing in the world. It gives you such endorphins and it makes you so happy. Just laugh. You know, my grandfather always used to say, "He's like." The people you should aspire to have in your life, and there will be people who come and go, but most of them, if you're going to dedicate any time or love to them, they should be the people that you you can imagine sitting on a rocking chair laughing your ass off while you both fart as old people. <laughs> and it was a very grandfatherly thing to say. And he was also such a, <laughs> such a goofball man, Leon, my, my dad's, uh, my mom's dad. Uh, my dad's mom was, was the funniest fucking woman on the planet, but for very different reasons. She used to always hit on Santa every year. It was the only time I've ever seen my dad be truly embarrassed. She'd show up in a skin-tight cat suit and like a blonde bob wig. As you do. And she was a Christian scientist, but because she had plastic surgery, dad called her the Christian Dior scientist. (laughs) And and she didn't drink, but she loved mocktails because she thought the glasses were elegant. So she'd always have him make her like a water with two olives in it. In like a martini glass. Yeah. And she'd sit on... I still love this. This is a phrase that I think a lot of women will appreciate just because it's just so funny. And she was so quintessentially of that era, man. She sat on uh, Santa's lap, who was definitely there for the kids. Didn't matter. She'd sit on Santa's lap and go, Santa, I have been a bad, bad girl. But if you're going to give me coal, can it be the type that's been under pressure for millions and millions of years? <laughs> and my dad would just be beat red and just, it was so funny. God, she was such a fun woman. Lori. She was the best. Oh, God. The, the, you're such a product of the people that you were around. And that doesn't mean you're, the, the, if you were adopted, you know, there are certain things that are genetics and certain things that are the way you've lived life and I'm so grateful for the sheer amount of fucking weirdos I grew up with who were just funny and self-aware and self-searching I'm a very self-searching person I'm constantly looking for what I need to better or what I need to accept and love Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful for that because having been through the most jarring being relationships people who can't even look themselves in the eye because they're afraid of what they'll see you know for anyone who's been through those kinds of relationships if you're empathic and you've dated a narcissist just know that you're not alone and it doesn't mean there was malice and it doesn't mean that they were bad people but god man like if someone if you're a self-searching person and you you're generally capable of self-love and self-awareness and you spot that there's not that in another person, run for the hills. Run for the hills. And I would say this, though. My sweet love. Mm. My sweet friend. That in order to be able to gain that experience of getting to have the awareness enough to run for the hills... 
sometimes oh god, one it took also, me many wrong turns. Yeah, has to have that experience yeah. of you know staying. When there's in the that valley. thing of like you'll you'll have that moment of going, God, was this a lesson I needed to learn? And it's not about that. You know, I'd say at the end of the day, you start to realize what it is, what your boundaries are. And it's it's just a journey that I I know a lot of people have to go through, but man, do I not wish it on anyone else. Oh, God. But that's life for you. The good news is it hasn't tempered my want or or kind of hope to one day find someone who isn't that because that would be a sad life if I was just like no I'm barren now <laughs> yeah well no and, and you have to experience you can't experience one without experiencing the other you know I like, mean I've met, I know people that have met they they just they thankfully out of luck and good timing have met the person that they were supposed to be with and they've been with them ever since and they yeah. didn't go through the but that I would say is is a is, is a bit like the lottery yes absolutely and they didn't have to play for very long and they just won it whereas everyone else is like you got to kind of figure it out yeah and I wouldn't say go searching for it either because you wind up that's just a whole other thing. No, it's it's just it's interesting. It's been a, it's been a a year of exploration for me in a good way. Um and now, you know, being being in my latter 20s. And I thankfully was never that girl. I mean, you know, I have plenty of friends who were and it's not like they live weird lives like they'll be fine too, but I was never the girl that had an idea of like when I would be married. Or if I would be married to a man or a woman. Or Mm. this is the dress I would wear. Or this is what my lover would be like. It just never crossed my mind. Yeah. And I've I've dated such a wide plethora of people from various different walks of life, from various different religions, races, sexualities. Um, I'm grateful I never had preconceived expectations because then whatever happens, you navigate without feeling like you played yourself. Like, usually everyone will go through that for a brief period of time. Like, don't get me wrong. But you get over it real quick because you're going, I didn't, this isn't that he, like, you know, some people tell you to write that list and put it in your pocket. And then, like, when you meet the one you love, they'll generally match up to the list. I mean, do whatever makes you happy, honey. But also just know that, like, what you want isn't necessarily what you need. And the sooner that you stop having expectations of someone else filling yours, the better off you'll be. Not because you don't deserve everything you want. The same way that we say ask for everything you want in business. Ask for everything you want in a relationship. Just know that if they can't fulfill it, it also might not be because of you or them. It's just because they ain't right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that 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 is the... I feel like there are so many different like mitigating factors in terms of what one thinks that they are worth, like yeah. emotionally and ba 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 ba. You know, um, like you briefly met my ex. Very you know, briefly, yeah. Um, <clears throat> where I was, and again, th- this was something that like I needed to learn. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like it's very, very, very different for empaths. Yeah. Especially in regards to if 
it's always shit. What have I done? What have I done? Oh, what hell have yeah. I done? God, How I do that I all the time. Ba 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 ba. Um, where am I being an asshole? As opposed to sometimes you're not being an asshole. And they're the ones that are just simply being a fucking asshole. Yeah, there's also, I think a lot of people have a, have a hard time differentiating between, like, self-consciousness and, I mean, for me, it's very interesting because I always, especially in an unhealthy relationship, I'll get very self-conscious because I'm thinking there's something that I'm not doing right. Yes. And this is not me saying that by any stretch of the word am I... Am I perfect? But I've also looked back at my relationships, especially the ones where I got really self-conscious. And man, was my, was my, you used a word for it that I really liked when we were talking about this earlier. Like my radar was on point. And I was self-conscious for all the right reasons. And... I'm not an angry person. You've known me for long enough to know that. I'm certainly not an unstable person. And you just have to look at those moments and you have to start trusting your instincts. Yeah. Not because, you know, things won't sneak past them sometimes. But most of the time, if you're you're adjusting yourself to be lesser than or because you feel less than, it's because something else ain't right. Amen. Especially if you can look at yourself and you're the kind of person who takes care of other people and, you're, and you take care of your loved one and, and you're wondering why you're not getting it in return. It's a whole other ballgame. And that's where, you know, take anger out of it. And again, everyone will feel it for a minute, but like don't hang on to it. Don't hang on to a grudge and just move forward. Because that's been the most interesting thing for me is realizing, you know, especially in, in relationships I'd been in that, not out of malice, but that we're toxic. Yeah. Man, even within a week when I get out of them, and I'm usually the person who has to pull the trigger. Yeah. But when you do, I, you feel immediately like yourself again. Amen. And you'll realize you were not acting like yourself. You were a shell of yourself for years at a time. And it's hard to see when you're in it. It's a bit like if, you're, if your windows get really dirty. And yeah. someone has to clean them from the outside, yeah. and then it ends up being you. Mm-hmm. you got to clean your windows from the outside. It's, uh, otherwise you're cleaning windows badly, <laughs> just, in a, just for all those window cleaners out there. No, it's like, it's, it's very, hindsight being twenty twenty as it is, it's just, oh, it, it's very interesting to now be what most people consider an adult, but still young. It's so fascinating to look back at your life, arguably having continued to climb a hill. Mm-hmm. And so it's getting smaller into the distance and it's, mm-hmm. and it's getting blurrier if you're nearsighted like me. Yeah. And it just becomes that thing that you're walking away from while continuing to climb the hill. And all of the things that feel like it was the entire world while you're in it, you keep climbing that hill and you realize, oh, no, I'm, I'm seeing more and more of the horizon and it wasn't that big after all. Yeah. Amen to that. Absolutely. At like, all. And that's like, and, and again, like, that's like the beautiful evolution, I feel, of relationships, you know. Um, Friendships, too. Any relationship, any love you bring into your life. 
friendships too. There were so many friendships where you started them when you were younger. And for the most part, I chose well. And then sometimes you don't or you didn't know that person as well as you thought. Yeah. And God, it feels terrible. And then you get further and further away from it. And you go, no, 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 it's, it's fine. Yeah, absolutely. It's fine. Yeah. Which is like, A, why I, I have very, 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 very few friends. like i have very very few friends um where for me i feel like especially like this this past relationship that i was in you know i got to see on a continual basis where I was betraying self mm-hmm. and I was sacrificing self, you know, and saying yes when I went meant no, you know, partially. And those are your boundaries. Yeah, well, partially because the idea of I'm automatically in the wrong, <laughs> they're automatically right, you need to stop being an asshole, like, ba 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 and by you I mean me. I need to stop being an asshole, you know, like I need to change. I need to acquiesce and blah, 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 Because I had such a desire to grow and I had such a desire to be. Well, growth is great. Yeah. It is. It absolutely is great. But it, but with that too, it's. I know what you're talking about, though, and that's that's the thing that, like, I did in a different version where I would go, maybe I'm not enough. And I remember looking back on it and going, and especially, I, I'm grateful for all of the people I have in my life, especially when I go through, like, toxic relationships, especially with men. Yeah. Um, and I do have I do have wonderful female friends and lesbians who've walked me through any time I've had a toxic relationship with a woman. But with, with men, I have all these straight guy friends who are like, no, 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 let me make something clear to you. There ain't nothing wrong with you. Yes. You were dating people who haven't figured themselves out yet. And maybe never will. Mm-hmm. But you hope that they do because that's also just that would be a terrible journey if they don't. But, like, no, you just, they, they went, you are an incredibly giving person. And the thing, the self-consciousness comes up because you know what you deserve and you're not getting it. Yeah. And so you start questioning if you know what you deserve. And there's, <sighs> don't ever do that. Know that you deserve the things that make you happy. Know that you deserve, I had a, I had a great experience last night that I, I can talk about because it just, it was such a sweet thing. I mentioned it to you already. I'd expressed to a friend of mine that I was like... I, I'd felt kind of robbed of affection for a while because he was just not a person that my, my ex was just not a person who like would cuddle me or was like yeah. affectionate physically. And I'm a yeah. very affectionate person. Yes. I hug all my friends. Yes. I kiss all my friends. Yes. And this friend of mine who's adorable, who I've known for since he was like 19, he's 22 now, he's such a baby, heard that. And he's a very sweet straight boy. And he was like, come here. And we were with all of my friends, we were doing 4th of July, watching the fireworks, and he literally just cuddled me for like 30 minutes, just 
to give affection when he knew that I hadn't had it in so long. Not because it was qualified by sexual interest. This is a dear friend of mine, but because it was literally just someone going, I'm sorry to hear that. Allow me to give you affection. And it was so lovely. And it's Mm -hmm. such a reminder of a, there's plenty of ways to get the things that you're missing in a relationship outside of it. And there's plenty of ways to get affection while you're single. But also just to be like looking at the friends I've gathered and the people that I love and going, oh, God, you're all as giving as I am. And how lovely that was. Because anytime my friends are crying and anytime my friends are having a hard time, I'm the first person to hop into bed and spoon them. Yeah. Gay, straight, doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. Because that's sometimes what, what people need. Yeah. And to see that in, you know, a 22-year-old sweet, sweet kid from Australia who just was like, come here. Yeah. Yeah. Hashtag not all straight men while we're yeah, on that same and, thing. And with that too, though, there are, the, the, recognizing within yourself that they're, that you were able to receive that. Yeah. That like but you I've were, been starving for it. No, but here's the deal, right? There are individuals that can be starving for it and feel like they don't deserve it. Sure. So the minute that somebody is saying, here... Let me give this to you. They're like, no. See, that was the funniest thing is I would ask. I would. I'm a person who asks for what I need. But if you ask for what you need and people can't give it to you or won't Won't. or won't, won't, but can't as well. There's some people who just don't have what you want to give. And you know what? I, I disagree with that statement. No, I do. I disagree with it in the sense. It's the people that... Again, there is no try. There is do. Or don't. Or not do. Sure. You know, it's either... Well, and that's the thing is, I was never afraid of receiving it, and it's why I missed it so much. And it's why it was so lovely to go, I'm not in a relationship, but I can receive this from someone who I'm not in a relationship with. And and that's the thing is that, for me, for example... I was in a relationship for four years with somebody that was very emotionally distant, did not give physical affection at all. Um, you know, and, and the thing that, that kept me staying was, well, I'm growing they're growing, they're going through shit and ba 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 and all this shit and da 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 and give them space and boundaries and whatever the fuck. Um, and to the point that, and again, this is just for me, that at the end of the day, when I looked at my own shit, it was that I felt I wasn't deserving of it. Yeah. Like that was the, like that was the thing. I felt like I was not deserving of it based off the experience that I had had. Yeah. Where if you were continually rejected, um, you start to feel as though, well, oh, maybe I'm not worthy of this. Maybe no, I'm not I've, worthy I've, of this. I've been there. Everyone's been there. So the fact that, like, you you got to come out 
to the other side and A, still know that you were worthy of it yeah. and then were able to receive it is such a beautiful thing. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, where it's like when I'm single, I am just single. I've never dated casually. I don't seek it out. Uh, my friends put me on a dating app like two years ago and I was on it for like two months and it was bizarre. <laughs> I hated it. I went I went on one like not even date because I already knew that I was like, we're not going to date. And he knew we weren't going to date. But he was like, let's go get coffee. We're interesting. And then I found out he was in an open marriage. And I was like, wow, there's a lot. Um, I'm just I, when I'm single, I'm so happy and I take care yeah. of myself and yeah. I have so many good friends that I don't yeah. miss even sex. I've never had a one night stand. And this is no judgment against people who do. I just like. Just no interest to me. Girl, you're not missing anything. <laughs> I've been told this. Because um, <laughs> sex is also something. I love sex so much. But in a way where if I'm not emotionally invested, yeah. I don't want it. I don't miss it. No, I got it. Also, yeah. masturbation is a wonderful thing. Ladies and gentlemen, please partake. It's what's good for you. It's, it's good for your friends. It's good for your life. It's absolutely incredible. Don't take out your sexual frustration on other people. That said, it's like... I'm so happy when I'm single that that's generally why I think I wind up happening upon relationships that last for a long time because it ends up attracting people who are going, oh, this person is self-sufficient and happy. Yeah. And it's just, it's, uh, I watch so many people think they're not enough because someone else hasn't completed them. Amen. And even if we're ending on this note of, like, whoever's listening, nah, dude, like, you're enough. You're enough for someone out there. You're enough for whatever you want and believe that you should receive and the happiness you should have. It is out there. It just is a journey that everyone, no matter how you view yourself, no matter how you think the world views you, it's out there somewhere. It is. Yeah. And more than that, like... You need to know that, like, you're enough for self. Mm-hmm. Um, that, like, you you're are enough, enough alone on your own. Exactly. You know, it's it's the whole missing piece, self-esteem thing. Like, yeah. you're not missing a piece. You're not. You're not. There are things like uh, there's plenty of people that would look at what I've been through and be like, God, she must have whatever daddy issues or just issues in general. And I'm like, Nah, you know what? Here's yeah. the thing. Yeah. I'm a really happy person. And it's the thing that, it, like, I mean, I'm so blessed. I had such a wonderful childhood. Congratulations. I know. So many people didn't. It's <laughs> an alarming thing. No, but I can accept that. Like, literally, my parents would have been fucking thrilled if I was an accordion player, as long as I was the happiest accordion player in the world. Uh. And I always say this because it's very true to me, that one of the things that has been so heartening about this last year year and change but last couple years actually for me my parents were always proud of me and one of the only things that would make me sad after dad left was that he probably missed me being proud of myself Mm. by a couple years but that said there's the wonderful thing about me having the childhood that I did that I'm so grateful for is that I know he would have been 10 times more proud of me for being proud of myself and for directing and for doing all the stuff that I've always wanted to do and kind of not not sitting back and Jesus take the wheel in my life where he was yeah. like, no, 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 you've yeah. taken said wheel yeah. and yeah. joined the Indy 500 and just mm-hmm. taken off. Yeah. I'm, I'm very viscerally aware that I'm enough. 
And so it's why I don't get... I haven't gotten truly angry about something that I went through in a long time. A long time. And maybe that's also the clarity of going through as much as I have. Not to say, again, I can only see through my eyes. There's plenty of people who've been through worse. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I have to look at my life and go, I'm going to work very hard at being happy. And, in fact, at being happy with myself, first and foremost. Yeah. That RuPaul way of going, as long as I continue to be happy with myself and take care of me and do what I want to do, that will not subvert in the way that so many people used to tell professional women it would. It does not mean you can't have the relationship you want and the job you want. Yes, absolutely. Or the family you want or the kids you want. You You keep renegotiating that contract with yourself for as long as it takes. Keep renegotiating what's important in your life, but it should still be you first and foremost, especially if you're in your 20s, your 30s. Like, keep renegotiating that contract and understand that that you get to keep making that decision. Yes. You do. Absolutely. Uh, guys. Guys. Whoever's still here, we love you very much. Love you so fucking much. Um, and like more to that point, I fucking love you so <laughs> I much. I love you too, honey. I love you so fucking much. And I'm so grateful that you're in my life. Me too. Um, it's also been really lovely for me to see you find love. I know. It's so and she's great, and even she though it is. must be incredibly confusing to have sex with someone with the same name. <laughs> but more on that in another time. <laughs> yeah, like more on that, that. I'll never have that problem. <laughs> and I don't think I'm ever going to. I will never say never, but I, yeah, I, I will tell you say. I don't think I'm going to magically fall in love with a lesbian named Zelda. Never say never, though. You if you're know. out there, Zelda. <laughs> it might be a straight man. It might be a trans man. It might be a trans woman. It might be a lesbian. Who the fuck knows? Nobody knows. Nobody fucking knows shit. Um, and we're just all doing the best that we Zelda, can. Zelda, if you're out there, I'm here. <laughs> um, but like with that, I fucking love you. <laughs> I love you so fucking love much. Love you too, honey. Um, and everybody else, au revoir, bonsoir. Um, Bonne nuit. Uh, arrivederci. <laughs> Avita saying goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.